Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. This week is Lambeth Week. Of course, that means the week of the Lambeth Conference. When I say that, I imagine different reactions among you. Some of you are nodding vigorously. Some are biting your nails. Some are wishing you were in England right now. Others of you are really glad you're not in England right now. You're glad you're on vacation. Others of you perhaps are already there at the Lambeth Conference. So if you are, I don't know what you're doing listening to me. Get thee to a fish and chippery. Hang out with clergy friends. Talk about the future of the Anglican communion for Pete's sake. And if your reaction is, huh, Lambeth, what? Well, here's the deal. The Lambeth Conference is a gathering of bishops every 10 years from across the Anglican communion, though the schedule occasionally gets off track, such as during World War II and the COVID pandemic. They meet for prayer and reflection, fellowship and dialogue on church and world affairs. So why should you, oh listener, who may not be an Anglican bishop or even an Anglican, care about the Lambeth Conference? We'll get to that. What has been up since the last Lambeth Conference in the church globally? The last 14 years in the world? Quite a lot. How will church leaders respond to complex questions on issues like Christian teaching on human sexuality and human rights? How will they make room for everyone at the table? Is there safe space to be honest? And how do people who disagree discern the call of the gospel together? How do you reconcile ecclesial tensions and heal old wounds? What do we make of former Archbishop Rowan Williams and Archbishop Justin Welby's different approaches to the paradoxes and pressures of Anglicanism, including the rise of the ACNA and GAFCON and related organizations, and important bishops who are boycotting the conference altogether? We'll discuss all these things and more with the Reverend Dr. Andrew Goddard and the Reverend Dr. David Goodhue. 
Andrew Goddard was on a previous episode discussing the Living in Love and Faith curricula. He's assistant minister at St. James the Less, Pimlico, London. He's tutor in Christian ethics at Ridley Hall in Cambridge and Westminster Theological Center, and a member of the Church of England Evangelical Council. He published two recent pieces on our Covenant blog on Lambeth in Retrospect. David Goodhue is a visiting fellow of St. John's College, Durham, and vicar at St. Barnabas Church, Middlesbrough, England. He's also been prolific on Covenant lately with four articles to his name, Lambeth 2022 and African Anglicanism, Is the Anglican Communion Growing or Dying? Wither the Church of England and the Episcopal Church in 2050. Go to covenant.livingchurch.org. Just do a quick word search on either of our guests' names, and you can pull up all the articles they've ever written for us. One more thing. A few documents come up in the course of the conversation, including the Windsor Report on Human Sexuality and a document released by Lambeth Palace outlining a wide-ranging series of calls for bishops to consider. We will include links to those in the show notes today, including a link to our Covenant blog. Now, if you still haven't booked your double-decker bus ticket, or if you do not own a miter, or if you don't even know what a miter is, never fear. Today's topic is for you, too. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Can I, uh, in the terms of full disclosure, also flag that um, I'm... Sitting at home, uh, we have a dog who um, is generally quiet, but it's conceivable he might wish to intrude on proceedings. These are modern times. Okay, right. <laughs> We're good with that. David, Andrew, you two know each other. I don't think we've met, have we, or not? No, I, I don't think we, you know, I've certainly read your stuff, Andrew. Um, well, ditto, yes. <laughs> I was wondering if all of you are staying reasonably cool over there. It's cooler today than the last few days. Yeah. So actually, certainly in London, it's been more humid. You know, it was a very dry heat the last two days when it was record temperatures. Uh, today, it's been quite quite humid. The great thing about British houses is that it, they're, they're built, if anything, to keep the heat in. Yes. Because <laughs> right. um, you, you know, that, that's, that, that's generally been the main issue, don't, not, not to um, keep you cool. I, actually, I did have one. I mean, the one good thing, dare I say, about our church buildings is usually they're, they're hugely inefficient at keeping the heat in. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. And that, that's become a virtue. So uh, when leading our evening worship this week, um, um, uh, the inside of the church was delightfully cool compared to the outside right. world. Um, and I even had somebody complain when I opened a door um, because they said, you're letting the warm air in. which is i've I've never had that complaint before well andrew david thank you so much for joining us today thank you i know that many of my listeners are anglicans i also know many of my listeners are actually not and so maybe they're thinking well why shouldn't i just skip this episode Uh, or we have listeners who are anglican but maybe they're not particularly interested in what happens at canterbury but what could we say now to those listeners to get them to keep listening i guess i'd say two things one would be that a lot of the trends that are happening in anglicanism are to be found in a lot of other churches that's us too and then the second thing is that the lambeth conference for good and for ill acts as a kind of concentrated version of the anglican communion 
but that means that we might see traits that are actually happening out anyway elsewhere, but see them in a clearer form. Also, the fact is, obviously, we can tend to have a very sort of narrow parochial view, if you like, of the church, but actually we should have a sense of uh, the whole breadth and depth of, of the church. And um, the Anglican Communion is one of the big global communion of churches. Um, as uh, David has said, many of the issues that we are wrestling with, other churches are wrestling with, and you know, part of the ecumenical journey is to learn from each other. At this point, it's been 14 years since the last Lambeth Conference. What are the key shifts that have happened in the Anglican Communion in the past 14 years? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, all sorts of things have happened. We're talking about, as I said, a uh, fellowship of churches around the world. Um, and uh, they are engaging in mission in their context. Many of them are facing all sorts of challenges in those contexts, whether some cases religious persecution, uh, climate uh, change, a whole range of different challenges that have become more pressing, sadly, in many cases over that time. Um, the communion has grown. Um, uh, there have been a number of new provinces um, since the last one who will be represented uh, with bishops um, at uh, at this conference. Um, the main thing I think that uh, you could say has changed uh, is that last time we were very aware of the uh, crisis the communion was undergoing in relation to sexuality, but there were things being put in place to try and help us navigate our way through that. Um, there was what was called the Windsor Report, uh, it had proposals as to how we might um, dial down some of the tensions. It had a proposal for a covenant the churches might make together. And all of that was in the pot last time round, trying to work out whether that was the way forward. And shortly after the Lambeth Conference, it became clear that those proposals were actually not getting purchase across the communion. Um, and that left things very unclear. And uh, when Archbishop Rowan left, the other big change is we have a new Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, Archbishop Justin spent a lot of time working to build relationships, uh, working for greater understanding. Uh, and that has borne some fruit, but I think there are still major questions about those tensions. Um, and there's not as much clarity as to exactly what might be the structural things in place after um, the structures that were proposed back in 2008 really didn't get purchased across the communion. Mm. Thank you. David, what would you say in your mind are the main contours of the last 14 years? Very simply, that there's been a lot of decline in Anglicanism and a lot of growth. Um, if you wanted to balance them out, there's more growth than decline uh, worldwide. But I think North America and, and the UK, um, that has seen very serious decline in the last 14 years. If we go from, say, 2000, Sunday attendance is down by over a third in the States. Uh, since then, uh, slightly under a third in the Church of England. That's before COVID. Go the other way, there has been ongoing, very substantial growth in many parts of the global South, though not all. In, in 1970, there were something like 8 million African Anglicans. It's now thought there is something getting up to, to 60 million. You know, that we're not coming into the same communion, quite, quite literally. Can yeah. I keep in and ask David there, um, that's fascinating uh, figures, but would it be right to say one of the oddities about the Lambeth Conference is that there are probably just as many bishops present representing those declining churches as there were at previous Lambeth Conferences. Um, and yet, as you say, other places have grown and will have more bishops, yeah. but it, 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 it is becoming less representative in that sense as, yeah. a, as an Episcopal body of the actual yeah. number of worshipping Anglicans around the communion because of those dynamics you've just described. 
of Sean. I, I, I mean, there's a, an entertaining but slightly dismal game to be played about which of the dioceses in the West have the fewest number of, um, in church on a Sunday. Um, oh, but we say, yeah, you, you know, there are a, a good number of um, dioceses, notably, I think, in North America uh, uh, and, and um, certainly one, some in Scotland, you know, where we're, we're talking of a few hundred people across the entire diocese in church on a Sunday. And they are at Lambeth. And that, that's a really important point. It really is rather important that we note that there are other dioceses um, um, present where, which may have tens, I don't know, even possibly hundreds mm. of thousands in church on a Sunday. Uh, uh, you know, classically, uh, Anglicanism um, is an attempt to say every diocese is equal, but some are an awful lot more equal than others. This, it, it reminds me a little bit of the, the conundrum of the, the Congress versus the Senate. I mean, you have a certain representative system that has that says everybody gets the same number of representatives. And then another kind that says, well, it depends on the number of people in different areas. But then again, those maps sometimes get drawn in a way that you might call a little wonky. And so everyone still doesn't quite get represented. So is there any discussion? Do you know if there's going to be any discussion about redrawing the lines, so to speak, about representation? I don't think there's any plans for those sorts of changes, largely because obviously the Lambeth Conference is bringing together um, those uh, bishops who are in communion with the See of Canterbury and how many uh, bishops there are in each province is a matter for that province to determine. Um, and that's that's therefore how that is decided. I think you know there are opportunities to think that through in terms of the Anglican Consultative Council, which tries to you know, have a different number of members for different provinces depending on their size, and that maybe needs to be reviewed. Um, one of the proposals in, in the calls is for another um, Anglican Congress, and again, the question of how people would be brought together in maybe a more representative fashion when it's not simply determined by um, the episcopacy um, would be an interesting question. And of course, we've not mentioned it. We may come on to it. I'm sure we probably will. But the other fact, of course, is that um, some of the biggest provinces are not sending their bishops at all. Oh, yeah. um, so it's, 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 not, it's not just that those who are there represent very different numbers of worshipping Anglicans. It's also there are quite a number who are not there who um, actually represent a very significant portion of the of the worshipping Anglicans across the globe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We will. We'll definitely get there. We have to. That's the, that won't be an option today um, okay. because it's got a it, yeah, it's it's going to have such an impact on the future shape of Anglicanism, among many other things. A commission from from Archbishop Justin Welby have put together drafts of calls. I do want to say a quick word about what what the calls are, and I'm sure you both can add something to this. But um Instead of instead of issuing resolutions, the conference wants to agree on or wants to present some some calls for consideration or Justin Welby has called them statements about what God is saying to the church. And then those would be followed by related to calls to action, which then bishops can say uh, they can they can take a vote. They can take an electronic vote about each one and say either. At the end, this call speaks for me. I add my voice to it and commit myself to action. Or they can say, this call requires further discernment. I commit my voice to the ongoing process. So they've got either like a little green check mark or a sort of a yellow light on, on those. And this just came out today on the Living Church website that uh, draft versions of 10 Lambeth calls, which include proposals for an Anglican Congress in the Global South, a review of the instruments of communion and a reaffirmation of traditional teaching on human sexuality 
were released to bishops from across the Anglican Communion on July 19th. There's a 31-page study guide, which is available for anyone to read right now, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes today. And it lays out the process by which these texts will be considered by bishops who are attending the Lambeth Conference. Obviously, there's a lot of material here. Um, And in terms of our discussion today, what is standing out to you about these calls, maybe both about the move from resolutions to calls and the significance of that, but also about the calls themselves and the content that they represent? And it it does strike me, um, you know, I I, I am concerned about the the, the the distortions within um, Anglicanism that we've we've talked about, um, and once you add on the fact that something like a third of the communion simply won't be there, uh, the, it strikes me that the 2022 Lambeth Conference is going to feel much less representative of Anglicanism than the 1998 one, and I think that then knocks on to the whole thing about the courts, and it, it frankly I think undermines the whole thing quite. Uh, I'm not saying anybody can go away from the land of 2022 and say, this is what the Anglican communion think. And the calls to me have a bit of a sort of um, resolution light quality about them. And I, I just don't think that will wash. Because I was going to ask what you see the difference is between a resolution and a call. Do you all think that there is a real difference, that there will be an actual practical difference? I mean, I'll be crude. I'd say no. I, I, I think that if they feel like they're going to be trying to, this is what Anglicanism thinks, sort of. And and for the reasons I've said, I think that's deeply problematic to say. I, I think it's difficult to tell because one of the interesting things has been that this this um, development has been announced quite late on in the process. Um, uh, we mentioned 1998 as the last time and when the whole communion effectively did gather together and then resolutions were passed. Last time in 2008, um, not only were um, lots of uh, provinces not uh, present, um, there were no resolutions and no calls. Um, it was simply what was called the Indaba um, of coming together for conversation. And a document was was brought out summing up um, the different aspects of those discussions. These calls are clearly an attempt um, to um, retrieve that long-standing tradition that's been there from uh, the beginning of the Lambeth Conferences and was missing last time. Um, exactly why the, the label has been changed um, is not uh, clear. They are clearly different in that, you know, there are there are just 10 and uh, they are quite lengthy. It's not totally clear. Um, these, uh, these drafts have now appeared literally about a week before the bishops actually gather and it's not clear, as you were describing, Amber, to what extent um, there is any chance for them to be significantly rewritten, amended, uh, that, uh, or if, whether it's just a, you know, a green light or an amber light. Uh, it's, it's not quite clear exactly how, in any sense, they're going to be shaped by the gathered bishops. The resolutions have always, in a sense, one of the points was made in changing the name is that they've, they've never had any legally binding force, but right. they have had authority and they've had authority because of these are bishops gathered from around the world who are in full communion with each other, speaking together in their Episcopal office, having discerned and prayed and discussed together. And now clearly a lot of that has been going on in the run up to the conference, but it's not quite clear how whatever comes out of the conference is going to sort of be shaped by the gathering itself. 
That makes a lot of sense. Well, why don't we do this since this document? I mean, it, it literally came out yesterday and yes. we, our, our attention was brought to it today and we've not read it, but I know we've all skimmed it and looked over it. So maybe let's not use that as the, as the way to shape our conversation, but let's go straight to what keeps already coming up over and over is the significant number of bishops who are boycotting the Lambeth Conference. So I'm curious, who are they? They're bishops who who are saying, you know, we're not going to come to this convening of Anglican bishops to where, you know, the future of the communion is discussed. There's prayer, there's Bible study. People are, you know, talking about what's going on in their own areas of the world. And And a number of bishops that represent some of the most um, in terms of Anglicanism, heavily populated areas of the world are saying, we're, we're not coming this year. Who, who are these bishops? And what do you see as the significance of this? And of course, um, I know GAFCON is going to come up here and also the GSFA, the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans. But the heart of those who are staying away are the bishops from the provinces of um, Uganda, Nigeria, two very large provinces, and Rwanda. Um, uh, and it looks like that is pretty much a collective decision of um, the bishops in those provinces, and none of them will attend. There will be other bishops who are, are, who are not attending. So I understand that the, the primate of Kenya, for example, has said that he will not be attending. As really, uh, which uh, you know, which is which is significant. But some 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 of his uh, provinces bishops will attend, and some won't. It's not quite clear what the numbers are. And, and there may be other uh, bishops uh, who are not attending. And primarily that is because I think they, they feel um, they cannot attend in good conscience, given um, the structure of the, the, the conference, um, uh, given the fact that there hasn't been, from their perspective, a proper addressing of the, the tear in the communion that developed after the consecration of Gene Robinson. I mentioned earlier the, the Windsor Report and the Covenant process that those having not led to uh, any obvious um, restructuring or dealing with what those bishops see as the departure from the teaching of the communion on the part of various provinces means that they cannot in conscience come and sit and recognise themselves as in full communion uh, with uh, all the bishops who are there. Uh, there are others in the wider global south um, who are in impaired communion with those bishops that are coming. And indeed, there are some from Gafcon who are coming. Gafcon isn't absolutely a single block on this. And it's important to realise that. Yeah, the global south have made clear that though those who are coming stand with those who are not coming in terms of their fundamental concerns about many aspects of communion life. So to, to, to sum this up for also for those who are less familiar with this history, too, this many of these pieces, as you have mentioned, can sound familiar uh, to those who are coming from other parts of of the Christian world. So we have bishops who are saying we cannot and won't, in good conscience, come to the Lambeth Conference because we're we're not sure that the problem that appeared to us when Gene Robinson, who is gay, who is partnered, and who was consecrated as a bishop, they say since this happened. We still feel that this point of rift has not really been addressed. Is that an okay summary? I mean, is that an accurate summary of of what you've said? Yeah, I I think that's a fair summary of where where things are, that basically a large part of the communion sees various provinces or dioceses within certain provinces in places like Canada uh, having gone against both their understanding of the scriptures, which is what is fundamental, but also gone against the clear... Um, consensus of the bishops when they met together in 1998. Um, They have seen attempts to try and 
solve that, not getting anywhere. In fact, the situation getting worse as it has moved to questions about the Christian doctrine of marriage, not just simply questions of uh, ordination or, or, or blessing of same-sex couples. Um, and at this conference, I think another significant shift has been, whereas in 2008, Archbishop Rowan did not invite Gene Robinson because his consecration was so controversial and he was mm. living in a relationship other than heterosexual marriage. Uh, there are a number of um, uh, same-sex married partnered bishops who have been invited this time uh, to the Lambeth Conference um, by um, Archbishop Justin. Uh, their spouses haven't been recognised, and that's upset those people who mm -hmm. would like a more affirming stance mm -hmm. on but the heart of global Anglicanism. But the fact that those bishops are living uh, in this, who are living in this way, are at this conference when, in many of the provinces of the Communion, that sort of pattern of life would be totally unacceptable for a member of their church creates a major scandal for them mm -hmm. um, and that's 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 the problem going on from what andrew's just said i i would say it's, it's it's very important to understand the scale of of this development um these are uh i think i'm right in saying the three the, the nigeria uganda kenya are arguably the best attended three provinces in the communion um and with Rwanda, the, uh, just just Nigeria, Uganda, and Rwanda would would make up something like a third of the communion. So it's not like this is a well, you know, it's a it's a shame, but never mind. Um, this is a very substantial slice of the communion that simply won't be there. You know, the point being that you know, if if one's trying to say that um, voices outside of the Western world matter, this is the disaster the optics are dire. And I, I would go on, I think there's there's a, a parallel development that's also very important to note, which is that, um, you know, at, by the end of this, the last time that Nigerian, Ugandan, um, Rwandans were involved in, in a kind of Lambeth process will be nearly 25 years ago. And at the same time, you have these alternative foci for unity, such as GAFCON and the Global South Networks, which have been uh, pretty active. Um, and large parts of Anglicanism now, in effect, have a deeper relationship with uh, fellow Anglicans through those networks than they do through the instruments of communion. And, and uh, as it were, this is a marriage where the partners are drifting apart. We are thrilled to announce at The Living Church the release of the first two volumes under our brand new publishing imprint, Living Church Books. The books are God Wills Fellowship, Lambeth Conference 1920, and the Ecumenical Vocation of Anglicanism, and When Churches in Communion Disagree. Ian Markham, the Dean of Virginia Theological Seminary, says this remarkable collection of essays brings wisdom, insight, and careful analysis to the complexities of living with disagreement an important book that has the potential to change the contours of the debate. What is this communion that we're in? What is its calling into the future? Please join us in that conversation. You can find both volumes in paperback on Amazon or click the link in the show notes today. I myself, this is, this will probably be interesting to both of you. When I was confirmed, I was confirmed in... Amia, 
oh, no, wait, no, it was not even EMEA. It was Pair USA. Archbishop on uh, Rawage, con- uh, he confirmed me. And I didn't know about his significance in the history of any of this until recently. So this is a world that that was my, you know, my mother's milk in, turn, in terms of Anglicanism is the mm-hmm. American side of, of these mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anglican groups. But as we've said, the, the, and, and, and as the concern that a lot of bishops are bringing to the table and Archbishop Justin has this concern, obviously that the boundaries of Anglicanism have gotten more blurred over time. You have one of you in an email to me called them quasi Anglican churches that are not even invited to Lambeth um, because they're not connected to the Sea of Canterbury but they have a meaningful size and they have deep relationships with other parts of the communion who are connected to Canterbury. Uh, a lot of evangelical and charismatic churches um, in, in the States is what I'm most familiar with that are attracted to and adopting Anglican worship. A lot of vineyard churches that are becoming Anglican under the ACNA, for instance, but they're not interested in Canterbury. They like the the and I don't mean this in a shallow way, but they're they're loving the and embracing the accoutrements of Anglicanism, um, but not the political structures. That's sort of something that that seems a bit uh, you know uh, we don't want to touch that because that's not. There's a lot of other people within those structures who believe things that we we think are heresy, and so it's maybe I mean it's obviously related to the position of these very significant African bishops. And there is a call on Anglican identity as one of the calls in this series of calls that that uh, Lambeth has just put out. So how do we what's 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 going to happen from this point on? I mean, what are as you look in your um, your Christian crystal ball, we'll, we'll make it a Christian crystal ball. It's not a pagan one. Um, what do you see as possibilities for the future here? Well, I, um, Archbishop Rowan, uh, in one of his many, he wrote regularly as he reflected when he was Archbishop about what was going on and, and, and talked about how the Anglican Communion can't remain unchanged by what is happening at the moment. Um, and all sorts of changes are happening, even that phrase, the Anglican Communion. It has its official designation, uh, but large parts of those who are part of the official Anglican Communion use it in a broader sense to include things like um, um, the Anglican Church in North America. Um, so what exactly we mean by uh, the Anglican Communion is itself now increasingly contested. Um, and I think part of the, the challenge is just that the patterns developing over time that um, that David was referring to earlier and that you've alluded to from a, a different direction, Amber. Yeah, if large parts of the worshipping uh, uh, Anglican provinces are not meeting through the instruments of communion over already nearly 25 years, so the next Lambeth Conference is 10 years away, that'll be you know, 35 years. Even if they come back then, they will have had that amount of time detached from the coming together in Episcopal Council uh, with uh, um, their brothers and sister bishops. And people seek communion. That's what we do as Christians. And those pathways are being developed. Um, so the backdrop to the last conference that we did mention was the launch of Gathcon um, in Jerusalem uh, just before the last Lambeth conference. Uh, it has continued to meet and it's got another meeting planned, I think, for next year um, in Rwanda. Um, the wider global south is now 
taking up the language of covenant that the communion itself tried to develop. They've developed their own covenant um, and they're looking to increase their bonds of communion. And the question is, how does that impact on the existing historic instruments and in particular on the convening power and role of the Archbishop of Canterbury within those? Mm-hmm. And I would, I would just to add to that the question of whether at, at some point um, structures have to realise what's happening on the ground so that, that in practice, if you are a Christian in Nigeria, Uganda, Rwanda, you are much more caught up with fellow Christians in the ACNA than you are with fellow Christians in tech. And that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that does work its way through sooner or later. And these bonds, by the way, David, are these are bonds of communication. These are bonds of, these are financial bonds. Uh, what other kinds of bonds are these that they're sharing, practically speaking? I, I think the, the there's a, a collegiality. So, mm-hmm. so um, um, uh, the, the GAFCON um, is, is in the habit of meeting rather more frequently than the every decade of the Lambeth Conference. Um, and I think that will be having a, a consequence over time. Again, the Global South group of primates is has a cohesion about it, I think, that um, Lambeth doesn't have. I think the other thing to say is there are the different levels of bonds, as you're saying, financial uh, fellowship. I think at the heart of it is a sense of of recognising a a clearly defined shared gospel uh, and the desire to go out and share that with the world in a way that they don't always see in some of the other Anglicans who will be at the Lambeth Conference. Uh, and that, that that goes quite deep. It was interesting I, having a very quick look through the calls. The language of gospel is there quite a lot, but it's, it's, not, it's not that clearly defined. Um, and there will be different views on that. The Global South have talked all about the unity of the Orthodox, a call to biblical faithfulness. And that, that, that gospel, uh, in terms of the substance of, of, of the good news um, of what God has done for us in Jesus, uh, but also then the life that um, is shaped around that, which is focused on issues around sexuality and marriage, but in other forms as well, there is much greater cohesion uh, in uh, the sort of links that there are between um, large parts of the growing parts of the communion and provinces like Acna than there are um, you know, with the, the established recognised communion provinces. And, and, and that, I think, is, is also you know, really, really important uh, as an important part of, of what, what gives them that, that deeper communion and fellowship that they feel they don't have in the same way um, with some of those who will be gathering at the Lambeth Conference. I'd like to ask a really crude question or a question put crudely. <laughs> and if it's, if it's just too crude, we can just take it out of the podcast altogether. But <laughs> as, I, as I'm building a picture in my mind of what's going on, I'm thinking to myself, it sounds like you have a millions of Anglicans around the world who agree on Orthodox Christian teaching, who agree on, you know, what it means to be faithful to the gospel and to share it. And then you got a few progressives who are kind of gumming up the works. You have a, a, a small minority of people who have a more progressive theology and it's making things tough for everybody else. This is sort of like Um, Canterbury is, and the people who are doing the work of reconciliation are working really hard to accommodate the folks that the vast majority of Anglicans do not agree with. It just seems to me that that may be a way that some people are thinking of this. There's a generational aspect to this in the sense that uh, in what some ways a very sort of ironic twist, 
um, uh, the, the, the more progressive wings of Anglicanism would see themselves as going with, as it were, the future. This is mm -hmm. where the culture is going. Right, like a prophetic um, voice. But, but the, those progressive wings are themselves in churches which have dramatically aged in the last 30, 40 years, um, and which will accelerate their decline in the next 20, 30 years. Um, uh, and so, you know, very obviously, if you have a, a you know, church where a lot of your members are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, um, your, your um, future in a generation's time is, is, is not good. And that, that's where a lot of North American and, and, and British churches are. What do you think about what I said, Andrew? I think you're right. That's the way, you know, a lot of people would see it. Uh, and I, I think there is a certain element of truth in that. Another factor that then plays into it, we've talked about money, is the way money flows in different ways between the richer and poorer parts of the communion, both the more conservative richer parts and the more liberal richer parts and, and how that plays into it. Um, although the progressives could be, you know, portrayed simply as, you know, following their culture, mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't want to see everyone who takes more progressive line as simply going with the flow of their culture. There are obviously people who have done serious theological reflection right. um, and see this as a legitimate development for some of these uh, aspects in, in Christian theology. And, and, so and, there's a distinction and our serious between, disciples and people of prayer exactly, as well. You know, that, mm -hmm. that, that's right. So I think you, you need to recognize that. And the flip side of that is, you know, one of the challenges put back the other side would be that in parts of um, the um, the growing parts of the communion in places like Nigeria and Uganda in recent years, there have been concerns that the church is too close to its culture in taking a very punitive stance against the gay and lesbian people. Mm -hmm. And in, you know, in a sense, the same problem that they are criticizing in Western liberal culture may be present in a mirror image form within their provinces and that the communion needs to sometimes address them to say, being faithful to what Christian discipleship looks like in terms of your sexual behavior and understanding of marriage does not entail taking some of the stances that you seem to have got quite close to in your contexts that are actually not fully respectful of people of different sexual orientations and so on. So I think it, it is, it, it's more complicated than um, the, the, the crude way you put it, although that, that, you know, that is definitely part of it. And for some people, that would be the central or even the sole explanation. I think it is more complicated, but it, it, it is an aspect of a very complex problem. Mm. Thank you. Yes. I love saying the crude thing and then, <laughs> and then everyone else can work on adding nuance to what, to what I've just said. Well, that's, I would like to mention here then, because, because we've gone here, that there is a, a call on human dignity that goes back to mm. 1998's resolution 110. And it wants to restate and reaffirm a traditional Christian definition of marriage, a man and a woman in a lifelong faithful union. But then also it wants to pull in the affirmation, the full affirmation of disciples, baptized disciples of Christ, whatever their sexual orientation or identity. So obviously we see these two concerns that you pointed out, Andrew, being, being held together, trying to hold these together in this call on human dignity. So that leads me to a next, the next question I have about the Lambeth Conference that's starting in a few days. What can we hope for for this Lambeth Conference? What, what's the best case scenario? Because obviously 
the conference and the calls that have just been issued are aware of the complexities and the nuances of what's going on. They're, they're, you know, wanting to deeply address, you know, reach out a hand of fellowship while still having theological integrity and political integrity also, and wanting to define the bounds of Anglicanism properly or the Anglican communion properly speaking. But surely Lambeth 2022 isn't a lost cause. Again, put it crudely, is Lambeth 2022 a lost cause or what's, what's, what other kind of scenario could we see in your mind? What's, what would be the best case scenario for this conference coming up? I think when, um, God's people, and in this case, the leaders of God's people, the bishops gather together to study scripture together, to pray and to worship. Um, uh, God hasn't abandoned the Anglican communion. Amen. Such that, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, in, in that sense, you know, it would be awful to say it is a lost cause. Uh, but it will also be awful uh, not to admit that there are major challenges, some of which we've we've been we've been discussing here. And you know, my hope is that there will be a way in which the those major challenges can be addressed in that context of bible study of worship and prayer um that there can be you know honest speaking um uh you know i was uh, reading something recently about the uh, um about Pope francis talking about um, the synod of the family and he apparently gave a talk um, um subsequently saying he was concerned that he'd heard some people felt they couldn't speak honestly uh, there i think there needs to be honest speaking um, and the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, um, who most of whom are going to be there, in contrast to the, the sort of GAFCON contingent within that, yeah, that they have set out four objectives that are very clear, and they're going in with that. Uh, and those those are coming at it from a quite different way from the way the official calls are coming at it. And I think the question is going to be, how do those two different approaches, what's coming down from within the system, if you like, through the calls, and what the Global South are coming and saying, and saying also on behalf of those who in conscience are staying away, how are those going to come together uh, at the conference and in the aftermath of the conference. And that's impossible to tell. It could, you know, it could be a massive explosion. It could be you know, things just continue to drift apart. It could be that something happens that enables a new way forward to be found at the minute, uh, you know, looks looks difficult to see given the, the, the different perspectives and viewpoints are, are, that they're going to be gathering in, in, in Kent in the next few weeks. Thank you. David, how would you respond to my completely off-the-chain extreme statement? <laughs> I mean, I think I, I, I confess I, I'm, I'm grateful for what Andrew said. I think he, he's, he's showing a more hopeful attitude than I confess I, I feel in my heart. Um, but I, I think if I go for what, what I would love to see, I would love to see the Global South being the leadership. I think that would be so timely in many different ways. I would also love to see a sense of lament and repentance from those who are there about the fact about those who are not there and about the distorted level of representation that we, we've talked about. Can I mention one thing that we, it is a, a, an outlier, but I, I think is important in terms of, of, of we're all about talking about the church for the world and so on. Um, the um, chair of the Anglican Consultative Council is a man called Archbishop Paul Kwong. Um, former Archbishop in Hong Kong, um, a strong supporter of the Chinese Communist Party, implicated with um, one of the nastiest regimes on planet Earth. He should not be in that role. And 
I think it is a deep shaming of Anglicanism that he is. And, and I appreciate this is a slight side issue and many, many um, listeners to this podcast may be totally unaware of this. this. But um, he is a very influential man. And if we believe that what's going on in, in the, 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 the industrial scale of human rights abuses in China are, are wrong, we should be talking about that. And um, it is noticeable that communion has been strikingly silent about Chinese human rights abuses. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, David, because so many pieces of the calls for Lambeth have to do with human dignity, sustainable industry and development. They have to do with human freedom and the proper uses of human freedom and governments, the state of governments and how, how humans can be flourishing as societies. And so it, when I think about the African bishops who are saying, look, we don't want to, we don't want anyone to be using these other issues as a way to block out this, this wound and this rift that has happened. We don't want to take attention away from the plate tectonics, the elephant in the room about the, the disagreement and the, the power dynamics. I mean, I hear, but I hear both of the, it's not that, it's not that, the global South doesn't want to care about sustainable development and calls to human dignity or the rights of LGBTQ people. It's not that the global South doesn't care about these things. But what I'm hearing is that these plate tectonics have to do with power and leadership, that, that something about power and leadership might still be off at these Lambeth conferences related to global South leadership in various ways. I, I think absolutely, Amber, and I, I think that 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 there absolutely is a real, genuine, big issue about um, the issues around sexuality. But that is seriously compounded by the sense that the global South is just being ignored, and that actually, really, the power is in the North, and in the end, what the North wants, the North gets. Oof. And and you know that just will not hold. And I think you know that fits with with the history, um, you know, historically, um, you know, the Anglican Communion, the Lambeth conferences were dominated by 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 the West. Um, you know, an early early resolution was very strong, dogmatically conservative on polygamy, and the African provinces, as they grew, respected that that mind of the communion and worked to try and help them to understand better their context. And it moved then to a more accommodating position, but still affirming the tradition teaching on marriage. I think 1988 was probably the first one where most of the people at the Lambeth Conference were from what we would now call the Global South rather than the North. 98, you know, then passed the sexuality resolutions. And what happened? The rich, powerful white people in the declining churches of the North decided they weren't actually going to pay attention to what the Lambeth Conference was saying. They would go off and do their own thing. And not surprisingly, the the growing parts of the church who, uh, you know, were now finding their voice and uh, and so on felt, you know, this wasn't right. Um, and, and it's not right. Um, and I think that one of the issues coming through this conference, I say, is how, uh, you know, how the Global South leadership coming in will respond to what the structures are saying and doing, which obviously has drawn in people from the Global South. There have been lots of conversations. It's not been, but there is still a sense that the levers of power, the influential voices and, and so on, are, are not really 
uh, where most of the worshipping Anglicans in the, in the globe are. And that, that is a major question and challenge that the communion has to face. It sounds like we should keep our eyes open and our ears open for what the Global South participants in Lambeth, particularly, what are they saying? And then after the Lambeth conference, checking in and saying, how did you feel about how that went? And then how are you responding? What, you know, how are you coming back and communicating what happened to your people? Um, How are you conducting relationships going forward? Are you coming out with a greater sense of hope? Are you coming out with a sense of, well, this still feels like, you know, essentially, you know, this still feels like a sort of colonial kind of situation and, and we're still struggling with it. So it seems to me that, that, um, the people who are there, who are coming to Lambeth, who are from the global South will, will particularly need and want to hear from after this is over. I mean, you, know, you could almost say what we're watching here is that the, the decolonization of the communion. And the question is, you know, how, how, do we come through that sort of process? Um, and yes, I, you know, I hope and pray that the Global South, while they will be having their voice as part of these calls uh, and so on and so forth, will also uh, feel able to say what they think needs to be said, not least because they may well be the majority gathered at Lambeth. They will certainly want to include those who are not coming but who share their concerns. They will, they will be speaking for most Anglicans uh, around the world. Well, David, Andrew, thank you so much for your thoughts today. Um, us three white people on this call from <laughs> from the UK and America. In the US, yes. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're working with what we have today, but this has been uh, it's been a lovely conversation. And I wonder, do you do any of you have a last word of wrapping up that you'd like to share? And or for anyone who's actually going to go to the Lambeth Conference, who's listening. Uh, a place that they should stop by and have a bite to eat in London while they're while they're dropping in. Well, I, I'll leave the I'll leave the gastronomic recommendations to Andrew. I think I would encourage anyone going to London uh, um, to Lambeth to remember the people who are not there. Mm. That's true. I, I don't think I can give much in terms of <laughs> good restaurants in London. There's only one day in London anyway, and I, I'm sure there's probably a, a wonderful feast being put on at Lambeth Palace or something uh, for people. Um, you know, I, I think, um, as I was saying earlier, uh, in human terms, things are not looking great in terms of the Lambeth Conference in, in some respects. But there are, uh, you know, the church is God's church, um, and God is faithful, and God continues to build His church. And you know. We need to recognise that, you know, there have been, you know, before most gatherings of church councils in history, there have doubtless been some of the major questions all about, you know, how is it all going to hold together? What's going to happen? Um, uh, And, you know, who knows what that will look like over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, and whether, you know, what the next Lambeth conference might look like uh, uh, and so on. Uh, But, you know, at this time, this is where... um, in the tradition of convening at the request of the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, hundreds um, of people who God has called to serve as bishops um, in the church are, are gathering together. Um, and we just need to pray, and they need to pray that the Spirit will will guide them, they will be able to speak honestly, that they will, as David has said, remember those who are, who are not there. Um, and um, I hope that the Spirit works in people's hearts to produce something um, great out of what at the moment looks like it could be a difficult meeting. I have been speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Andrew Goddard and the Reverend Dr. David Goodhue. Andrew, David, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure. 
Thanks once again for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. I know we've been keeping you in suspense about what's up next. Full disclosure, we're trying to see if we can get the new House of Deputies President, Julia Ayala Harris, on the show. We're still working on it. So if you don't hear from her next time, you'll be hearing from other guests and topics that we have waiting in the wings, including Anglican Pentecostal ecumenical dialogue and making room for different leadership styles. Until then, I'm your host, Amber Noel, and it's been good to be with you. Peace. Peace.